0: Hello, and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for tonight's program.
1: Before you became a Christian, you were aliens and homeless. And then he says this, so then now that you're a Christian, you are no longer strangers or aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And Paul does this, and and the original audience that they would have said, Paul, are you saying that there's another household to which we belong? And that is exactly what he's saying. You see, you have a name that belongs to the household of God.
0: When we read a book written in another time and place in history, it's reasonable to read it in the context in which it was written. When the Bible was written, the language and culture varied from our experience today. Rather than making it irrelevant for the modern reader, what we discover when we read the Bible is that it's rich in history and has very real implications for us today. Tonight, Dr. Corbett is beginning a new series on the household of God. As we take a close look at the early church, we learn what God has to offer us today. Let's join Dr. Corbett now for part one of the household of God. Let's
1: pray. Father, as we look at your word, I pray that your word would look at us. I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would open our ears, open our hearts and open our minds and help us to see what's always been in your word and perhaps some may have not seen it before. So I pray today that today would be a day where you speak and people's hearts are excited. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be looking at the... Household of God. The household of God. And I hope to show you that this is one of the major themes of the New Testament. But here's my question. When you read the book of Acts and when you read the epistles and you read the word church, what do you think of? What were they like? What do you picture when you hear the word church? Let me hear some ideas. First century church. What are we what are we seeing hearing? People, gathering of people. Anyone else? Community. What does it look like? What are you seeing? When you, see, when you think early church, what do you, are they in cathedrals? In a home? Plaster walls, TV in the corner, fireplace in the other corner? What sort of home, Michael? Very humble home. Anyone else? One room home. Anyone else? It's pretty flash homes. Yeah. Anyone else? Outside in the open. Servants slaves family relatives okay it's an interesting question to ask because sometimes we have perceptions when we read the scripture and we we read words like I I know when I discovered the the word palace that the kings of Israel lived in a palace and then later on David describes his palace as a small cedar home think oh that's not Buckingham Palace that's not anything like Buckingham Palace So sometimes we bring bring what we think is what the text is saying to the text without trying to ask the question, what does the text actually say and what does it actually mean? So when when you imagine the church described in the New Testament conducting their worship services, what what do you see? Now interestingly, in the New Testament, churches are described as households. And we'll see that in a moment. The term household... Can also, ref- another word for that is uh, house, so we'll, we'll, we'll say it in a moment. But, but it's also, a household is, it relates to the extended kin. So Kim mentioned before, it, it could have aunts and uncles and grandparents and so on. And that's true, it could. But it could actually go even broader than that. So to belong to a household meant that you were a part of something. Now, in First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 it says this and this is kind of uh, an insight into the way the early Christians thought of the word household because Paul says this and it sounds like a, a bit of a rebuke it's not well maybe it is if you're not doing what he's saying if anyone does not provide for his relatives especially for members of his household he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever so if anyone's not cared for those members of their household you're not living like a Christian. Now here's the problem we've got today and it is a problem, we think of family and we think mum, dad and the kids, you know it's a really really modern concept of family, it sort of came into being about yesterday and when we read family in the Bible we're seeing this word household generally and it's not mum, dad and the kids, it goes far broader Than that in fact the the term household or house also denoted or described the name of a patriarch a patriarch sounds all fancy it it, it means the father to which a descendant belonged so we read in Scripture and there are probably over a hundred examples in the Old Testament I've, I've just pulled one out not for any particular reason except for the fact that it it uses this term where it says yet the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David or the household of David because of the covenant that he had made with David now this is in 2nd Chronicles so what what you should know is King David was long dead, his children were long dead in fact his grandchildren were long gone and his great 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 grandchildren they were gone too this is way down the track and God is speaking to the descendants of David and he's calling them the house of David in fact, it's a designation given to Jesus as well. Jesus was of the house of David. That's a long way off from David. So when we think of family, we, we have, I think, in our Western mindset, a very narrow concept of what family looks like. Ali, I remember your 50th birthday um, 20 years ago when you had it. <laughs> and you invited your family. And it wasn't 20 years ago, by the way. And there would have been, I'm guessing, 300 people there. No, I'm not, not, not literally, but there was a lot of people up there because the concept of family for, for Ali extends to even people who are of the same nationality. In fact, that's, what, that's the way Hebrews saw it as well. That's the way Jews saw it as well. So to care for one's family was to care for someone who was of the same nation as you. So when... The Christmas story Mary and Joseph go to uh, Bethlehem why did they go to Bethlehem because that was the town of the house of David to which they belonged and you remember when they went there we read the Christmas story and Hallmark Cards doesn't really help at this point because we, we read in the text that there was no room for them in the inn and we think Best Western it's not best western. It's almost certainly that that word translated into English as in is a house with a guest room. And by the time they got there, where, but, but got there, where, where is there? There would have been a family member. Maybe a very distant cousin. But they were still considered family. And they had to show hospitality to a family member who just turned up and the only hospitality they could give was where they kept the animals but they still were obliged to care for family. So it's a really interesting concept of family in the first century and I want to show you a bit later on that when the Bible speaks of the word church it doesn't distinguish church from household. The family concept is quite different to our modern concept. Here's an interesting thing, the houses of the Greco-Roman world during the first century were designed to accommodate households. There's no doubt about it, in the inner city parts of Rome or Jerusalem, two of the major cities in the world at that time, Rome had a population of around about a million people, you've been there Julie, have you been to Rome? The mother country twice, was that peace or was that twice, twice Rome? And they would tell you that that Rome still today, I don't think it's quite reached its Roman Empire population yet. It was a crowded city and yes, the houses would have been pretty small. They actually had apartment buildings which was quite a modern concept but that was the only way they could fit everyone in. But step out from there and many if not most of the wealthy people of Rome actually owned Greco-Roman household houses. And these houses had to accommodate their immediate family. It had to accommodate their extended family, aunts, uncles, grandparents. And when we talk about mum, dad and the kids, it would have also accommodated mum, dad, the kids and their spouses and their children. These houses were relatively big. And the ones who could afford such a house were known as householders. So this is why, not just, in, not just outside of Rome, not just outside the major cities, but in most of the parts of the Roman Empire, this is what the houses were like of the wealthy people. This is why Paul could say in Philemon, to Philemon, a wealthy man, probably the pastor of the church, as we'll, I'll show you in a moment, he could say this writing to him at the same time prepare a guest room for me for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Now Paul could say to Philemon you've got a guest room get it ready for me. How did he know he had a guest room because Philemon was a householder. So I want to show you the typical architecture of a Greco-Roman house. Here's the floor plan. And it's going to be a little bit, maybe, hard to see. So let me walk you through it. You might get a clearer picture on the TV. But, in fact, I'll show you the next, next one. Might might make it a bit clearer. All right. This is the house. There's a, a gate or gate here. This is the street. The front of the house had a window that opened up. And almost certainly it was bigger than this window. And that was a shop and on the other side they would have had another one, they may have baked things, made things that they cooked, they could sell them to people passing by on the street, they may have made fabric, clothing or leather work or something like that and sold it out of there or pottery or whatever it was. You come through here, this A stands for atrium, it means that it would have had an open they probably almost certainly wouldn't have had glass roofs back then but that would have been an open area then this was a meeting area these uh, things here were bedrooms and there's, if you count them there's seven of them seven bedrooms then outside here is a garden courtyard and then over here there's a room associated with the garden and another room and another room there's a lot of rooms here that was the typical Roman, Greco-Roman household. Some of them would have had a second story and we read that in the book of Acts. You remember Paul was preaching and for those who think that I preach for a long time, be glad that you're not in the, the New Testament times when Paul preached to you because he could go for a while. In fact he went for a while at one point where during a, a second story Greco-Roman house where the church met there was a young boy who was sitting in the window ledge on the second floor and Paul had gone I think at this stage for about six hours and he fell asleep now I have found it doesn't take me six hours to put something but anyway he fell (laughs) and it now the whole point there is that it shows us that some of these households the, the houses were actually quite big so, no doubt there were smaller houses, but they were generally not given to people of wealth and, and means. But the, the people who had wealth, they had means, they were known as householders. Just to give you a, a, a picture, I've, I've got this. This is um, a tourist site of a Greco Roman house. In fact, it's the background to my slides. And it, it shows you the size of the courtyard that we're dealing with. Now, this is the, the relevance here is that some people say, oh, the early church was a house church, we've just got to go back to house church. Do you know how many people you could get on that grass? Some scholars estimate that some of these households could accommodate up to 600 people in a public meeting. So when we hear people say, oh, we've just got to get back to house churches, house churches, and... Uh, I I just think you need to grab a Bible encyclopedia and sit down for an hour and just check out your facts because these places were quite large. Not only that, they were almost ready-made churches because when you talk about such and such in his household were baptised, it could have been 20, 30, 40 people. Now, I've been involved in church planting in fact Kim and I—Kim can tell you that, that one of the first um, meetings we had when we planted a church in Williamstown in Melbourne we had one person turn up and, and Kim was nursing I think at that time Ebony so I had one person, Kim and Ebony and then Kim had to go and nurse Ebony and I'm preaching to one person and if you want to know what awkward looks like it was pretty similar to that, I think. He was a and he was a visitor too. <laughs> <laughs> he probably felt sorry for me. He stayed around till the end of the message, anyway. All right. So the primitive church, and what I what I mean by primitive is it's not it's not you know from Acts chapter two. It could be in Acts chapter twenty six or something. So it's in within the book of Acts. We have. These churches meeting in the homes of householders. So here's some examples. Acts chapter 11 verses 13 to 14. And this is Peter telling of the time when he went to the house of Cornelius. He told us how he had seen, so this is Peter saying Cornelius told them, how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who was called Peter, he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Now we could read that and think, oh, that's just the kids who live at home. It's not just the kids who live at home. This is the point I'm trying to get across to you. That there would have not only been mum and dad, the grandparents on both sides, not just the aunts and the uncles, not just the kids and their spouse and their kids, there would have been a lot of people there plus servants because the wealthy people had the opportunity and the means to lend money and when people couldn't pay back that money which was common they would sell themselves to the one that they were indebted to to give their time and effort in other words it sounds like being a slave but it was a slave for a period of time till that debt was paid off So there's an example of a household. Here's another one, Acts chapter 16. In fact, as you go through the book of Acts, you'll notice this. After she was baptised and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. I think that was Dorcas, I think, who, who had enough space to invite Paul and his travelling companions to come and live for a time in her house where the church began to meet. Here's another example, Acts chapter 18. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. Together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptised. Now, Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, says this. Now, I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, which is where Corinth is, south of Greece. And they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. So, I've just given you a sketch to show you that throughout the book of Acts, it talks about you and your household shall be saved. And the reason is. If the householder, the leader of that householder said, we are becoming Christians, they became Christians because they were under his care and protection. They were a part of his household. Belonging to a household was a pretty good deal. Think back to that that architecture I showed you and I'll be referring to that a bit later on to show you that Paul actually uses the architecture of the house where a householder lived to make some profound points about what the church should be like. Now belonging to a household gave you a name. I'm of the household of Stephanus, or the household of Crispus or the household of David or the household of someone alive and there's uh, in the book of Acts and, and through the epistles there's many references to householders to belong to a household meant you had meal you had a meal at the end of the day you probably had more than one meal in a day you were provided for you had a roof over your head you had comfort there were gates at the front you were protected at night if you were a poor person there was no guarantee that you were safe where you lived But here in a household, you were guarded, you were protected. The householder was usually a person of means and a person respected in the city. And as a result of that, people were reluctant to mess with him. So you had provision, you had acceptance, you belonged and you had security. Paul says that before in writing to the Ephesians, before you became a christian you were aliens and homeless and then he says this so then now that you're a christian you are no longer strangers or aliens you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of god and paul does this and and the original audience, they would have said, Paul, are you saying that there's another household to which we belong? And that is exactly what he's saying. You see, you have a name that belongs to the household of God. Not David, not Crispus, not Stephanus. you You are part of God's family. You belong in this house this is your house the church this household they could have said but Paul households are where families live and Paul says exactly exactly that person who you've never met before who's now coming to the church that's meeting in your household is your family she's your sister she he's your brother family Quite an amazing concept and maybe we take it for granted and I hope that you have some wow moments through this. The early church was modelled on the structure and relationships of a household. How was a Greco-Roman household structured? Well there was the the father, the husband, the the guy who was probably the, the wealthy, something or other. But not always, not always. We saw in Acts chapter 16 it was a woman. She was a businesswoman. She was a householder. But in a typical household, the husband, the father, was the the leader of the household. His wife usually was the organiser of the household. How does it go in um, my big fat Greek wedding? So the the mother says, oh yes, the man, he is the head. But the wife, she is the neck. (laughs) And that's how Greco Roman households operated. The husband was the head, but the wife was the one who oversaw the affairs of the household. We get a little bit of a glimpse of that in Proverbs 31 as well. And so when Paul came in and a householder, gave his life to Christ and he said we're all going to give our lives to Christ now and sometimes there was a in the courtyard there was water and they could have all been baptised he becomes the elder or the, the, the overseer of the church it's a ready made church now here's the really cool thing about these households that Paul's talking about because a householder would have had to have been a person of wealth and status usually and throughout the book of Acts they were. But here's the really cool thing and if you get this it should help us to understand God's heart for all people for all people. The household of Christians, the household of God meant that you could be an equal member an equal member of that household. Despite your status or despite your wealth or despite your gender or despite your ethnicity. That's actually pretty cool. Paul could write to the Romans, or sorry, the Galatians, and say this there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I reckon that's pretty awesome. And we say, and often we say on Facebook on Saturdays, we're inviting people to come to church. we'll, We'll say, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you've been through or what you're going through. It doesn't matter what you've done or who you've done it with. It doesn't matter what your religious opinions are. You're welcome. You're welcome. And I wonder if we can begin to understand that church is not just a meeting place it's a family gathering of the household of God and in that household everyone's welcome everyone's welcome and what I hope to show you over the next few weeks what it means to belong to the household of God that's what we'll look at next week then I want to show you why on earth did they have shops right at the front facing the street? We'll talk about that. How could they invite guests in without any advanced booking? How could they do that? And I want to show you the implications of that for the church. So here's, here's this wonderful, wonderful thought. God is the householder. It's his house. We said the householders were people of wealth and means and status. Is there anyone with more wealth, more means and more status than God? And if you belong to a household, you took on their name. I'm a part of the household of Stephanus, or the household of David or we're a part of the household of Jesus, the household of God. That's the name that we serve under.
2: our King Come let us bow at His feet He has done great things And see what a Savior has done See how His love overcomes He has done great things He has done great things Oh hero Oh hero of oh, you conquer the grave, you free every captive and break every chain. Oh God, you have done great things. We dance see your freedom, awake and alive. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh God, you have done great things. amen you have
1: this is really cool because you may not have a home you may not have had a dad but you now you give your life to Christ you belong to the household of God and every night There's a banquet with the Father waiting for you.
0: That's all we have time for tonight. For a CD copy or a premium download of tonight's discussion, please go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org and select Household of God Part 1 from our online store. As we've heard tonight, the churches in the New Testament are described as households. It's no surprise then that the church were considered family and created a great sense of belonging as well as protection. More from Dr. Corbett next week as he continues with more on the household of God. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.